0: Thank you, worship team. Guys, go ahead and take a seat. That was good. Don't you agree? Amen. That was so good. Uh, So that's hard to transition into something that's so emotional and good, and uh, I'm the millennial that's going to bring a punk rock song this morning, so, woo! Uh, So when I, I've loved this series, I've loved that we've been talking about music that just fuels our soul, that just uh, clings onto our longings, and when I think of music uh, that have just meant so much to me, I think of music that's on burned CDs. And do you guys know what I'm talking about? It, it looks like this usually, there's sharpie markings all over this CD, but it's a mixed CD similar to the older generations of mixtapes. Yeah, you play mixtapes or, or just shuffling that record on the record player, you know, you're playing multiple different songs. Or to the new generation, it's like Spotify playlists, and these are, whether it's mixtapes, whether you're just sitting with friends and playing records or Spotify playlists or burn CDs, the best part about them is you're creating them for memories for moments, for times that you wanna share, maybe to express yourself to someone for the first time that you don't have words for. But you create this whole playlist uh, for people, for moments and memories, and I love them. And so I have in my car still, so many burn CDs. I have so many burn CDs that I love, and they all have like, usually when you label them with a Sharpie, there's some sort of inside joke, or memory, or a time. And one of my favorites is my Homecoming 2008 CD. Oh, I love this CD. It shows all the angst of high school, yet all the hope. And I can listen to it over and over. The funny thing is, I didn't go to Homecoming that year. I just hung out with people afterwards because I was like, nah, I don't feel like it. So I never actually went, but that CD is one of my favorites. And a song on there that I can't stop playing over and over is Some 41's With Me. Now, many of you are like, I have no idea what that song is. I mean, Jeff's been playing all these music that you're like, yes, I can sing to it. Same with Ben and Courtney and my that's okay. It's a punk rock song, but it's so good because in my life, Homecoming, 2008, so that's fall of 2008, was such this time when I was feeling all the angst of changes, of pain, of hardship, but it was also the same season of life that I started really following Jesus. And so I had all this hope in my life in the midst of all this pain, and I really think that punk rock music does this incredible job of holding that tension of angst and hope. Their music is super angsty, it's super like, ah! It has so much hope in it when you listen to the words. And so I picked a mellow song. This song is not crazy. It's a mellow song, but I want us to just watch a minute and 25, not that long, of the music video because I think it gives you a clear picture of this tension that they're trying to hold. So check it out. So, that song I sang over and over in my car. I sang it with tears, I sang it with joy, and I'm gonna put the lyrics up in case you missed them, Uh, but it's a song where they're holding, trying to hold on to something so good. And I just wanted to show you the music video because you see there's all these pictures and these memories and these symbols of hope, but yet you see the people there are struggling. And there's something going on inside them that they're struggling. And here's, Here's what some of the lyrics says. It says, I don't want this moment to ever end. Everything's nothing without you. I'll wait here forever just to see you smile, because it's true. I am nothing without you. And so they're holding on to something so good, so good, in fact, that they're nothing without them. They're holding on to something so good that everything else becomes nothing when they think of this person or this moment or this time. And then the lyrics go on to when it got really intense. It said, I want you to know with everything, I won't let this go. These words are my heart and soul, I'll hold on to this moment, you know, because I bleed my heart out to show that I won't get let go. And there's this desperation of like, I will hold on to this moment forever and ever. Whatever it takes, my heart and soul will cling on to this sweet, good memory or moment or person. And I love this song because I think that it touches a core human longing that we long for goodness. We long for goodness in a world that doesn't always give it, a world that doesn't always seem fair, a world that we walk through and there's pain and there's hardship, but we long for goodness. And the reason I know that we long for goodness is because in our hardest moments, we tend to think back to when life was easy or when life was good. And we tend to replay those moments over and over as we're walking through a hard time. And as humans, life can be so overwhelming with worry and fear. And we think that goodness is gonna be drifting away when we're in the midst of those hardest times. And we think, am I ever gonna get out of this? Are things ever going to change? And so we live in this tension that punk rock loves to play about. We live in this tension of angst, am I ever gonna get out of this, and hope. And as Christians, our hope is that we have a hope in Jesus, in the reality of this broken world, and that is our goodness that we long for. And in scripture, we see this eternal truth of God's goodness, and people longing to know and experience it all over. In every circumstance, they're constantly leaning in and going, God, this is what I'm going through, but you are so good, and I'm gonna be devoted to that. We see it in Exodus, when the Israelites, they're rescued, they're walking through the desert, and then all of a sudden, it's too hard in the desert. And they have to be reminded that God's near, and he's good, and he has to remind them over and over, remember what I've done for you. Remember how I rescued you out of Egypt. And then there's Job, who lost everything. His health, his wealth, his family. And people were trying to tempt him, maybe God's not good, and he continued to praise and go, no, that's not what God has shown me. He has continually showed me that he is always good. Then when Jesus in the gospels, there's people constantly seeking him out for healing. They're constantly seeking him out for healing. And there's a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Imagine the loss of hope in that time, 12 years of pain and suffering. And she knew, man, God is so good and Jesus must be so good. And so all I want to do is touch out and experience that goodness. And then Paul talks about it over and over again in his letters, that he rejoices in the good news. He rejoices in the goodness of God, even in the midst of his persecution, even in the midst of his pain. And today I want to read a psalm by David, who David is so angsty. He like would love punk rock music. That would be probably his jam because he's like, oh, they get me. Oh, all my psalms, they finally understand. And... (laughs) David, but he does this beautiful thing of weaving in and out of his worries and proclaiming God's goodness. He goes back and forth, and I love that because it creates a rhythm and a pattern for us that we can do that too, that we can hold both intentions. And, and when we read Psalm 22, what we need to know is God had not delivered him yet. So when you see his words, when we're about to read this, we need to know that God has not delivered him yet. See, we tend to read scripture and we tend to know the end of everybody's story in scripture, but we forget that they're living in the present moment, they have no idea. And so when they are proclaiming God's goodness, they're doing it out of fear, but out of hope. And so that is what we need to lean into when I read this, I don't want you to be like, well, yeah, but he probably knew it was gonna end well. He didn't, he didn't, but these are his words. This is how he leaned into goodness. Here's what it says, Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Same thing Jesus said on the cross. Hence this crying out. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You're the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And so we see just even in this beginning few verses, he's like, Why? Where are you? What are you doing? I have no idea. And he's crying out to God. But yet he's immediately jumping back into, But I know what's true. I know who you are. I know what you've done in the past. And the next 20 verses that I'm not gonna read because it's David going, talking all about his pain and suffering that he's experiencing. It's talking about, man, this is my reality. This is what's going on. I am being attacked. I'm being attacked. And he goes through all these different metaphors, like four different ones of being attacked, and he describes himself as powerless. And so here he's holding this tension. He goes, God, this is my situation. This is what's going on in my life. But I'm going to trust you And know that you have compassion on me. And so when he wraps up, we're going to jump all the way to the end. Because it's 20 verses of, like us, we do. Man, this is everything that's going on. And then he ends with this. In verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praises in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. I love the way this psalm ends because remember, he is not yet delivered in the pain and the suffering and the trials that he is going through. He is in the midst of it and he's already proclaiming he has done it. He will do it, he did it in the past, he's gonna continue to do it. And so man, I think of what Anna was just sharing with us about the living water and us thirsting for us. And we are thirsting for that goodness. We're thirsting to proclaim that goodness, to lean into that, to drink that water. And so I love, when I read this psalm, I love the posture that David takes. And I think there's two pieces that stand out to me about this posture for us to lean into that goodness. And the first is embracing mercy. He embraces mercy when he didn't know if he was going to get out. But his mercy looked like him crying out to the Lord. It looked like him asking God, please have compassion on me. Please be with me. And sometimes I think we use words in church over and over and over again, like grace and mercy and forgiveness, and it doesn't fully settle in what it actually means. And so I found um, this theologian, and the way he described mercy, I was like, yes, I love that. And here Millard Erickson says God's mercy is his tender hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart toward the needy. If grace contemplates humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned, mercy sees them as miserable and needy. And so embracing mercy is embracing a posture of neediness, saying, God, I need you. I need you. And that's not just when things are hard, but I need you every day. Every day I need you. Because our neediness, our desire to need God shifts our eyes towards Jesus. When we say, man, I am so needy, I need you, God, we can now see him working. We can see his goodness a little bit more every day. And a community that I believe has understood this idea of embracing mercy is African American community. If you didn't know, this month is Black History Month. And it's a time, yeah, it's a time that we honor, celebrate, learn, and sit at the feet of our fellow African Americans and we hear their stories. We hear how they have walked through centuries and histories of pain and suffering, yet they are still standing and they are still trusting and they have so much strength. And as I've been sitting with brothers and sisters and hearing their stories and their stories of strength, I've seen that as in the midst of injustice, they have embraced mercy. They have embraced compassion to know, man, I'm walking through some of the hardest stuff every day that I have to face, but God is always good, and He sees me, and He has compassion on me. And man, I love that. And so if you haven't seen the movie Just Mercy, I encourage you to do that. Um, when I watched this movie, I was wrecked. I was completely wrecked wrecked. And if you don't know what it's about, it's based on a true story, so I won't totally ruin it for you. Um, but Walter McMillan is an African-American who's put on death, death row, wrongly accused of murder. He never did it. But he was put on because of injustices. He was put on death row. And a Harvard lawyer decides he's going to come down and stand up for those that don't have a voice. He's going to stand up and bring mercy, compassion, And so, Brian Stevenson works really hard for for Walter and he ends up getting him a time in court where they're going to see if they can reconsider his case for a retrial. And he works really hard and he brings all the evidence and all the truth before the courts. And he even brings the only eyewitness forward who admits I made it up. I made up my eyewitness testimony for my own benefit. I made it up. And in that moment, you see Walter well up as the truth comes out. He wells up as the truth comes out, but the sad part about in this moment was they denied the retrial. They denied the retrial saying, nope, not enough evidence to actually claim that he can go back into trial and then be seen as innocent. And so when he's back at the prison, when Walter's back at the prison with this defeat, this defeated moment, He's talking to his lawyer, Brian, and he looks at him, and there's a different posture to him. There's a different posture. And he explains to him, man, I have lost track of the truth of who I am in this process. Because when everyone's looking at you and calling you a murderer, and you're like, no, but I know the truth. And then the courts tell you you're a murderer, and he's like, I know the truth. But through years of being in prison, for years of people calling him a murderer, he got lost. He's like, I don't know. And I found this quote so powerful, what he said. He said to his lawyer after he thought he wasn't going to get a retrial, when he thought that he was going to be on death row forever until he died, he said, if they take me to that chair tonight, I'm going to go out smiling because I got my truth back. You gave me that. You gave it to my family. So in the midst of this moment where his circumstances didn't look like they were changing, he embraced mercy, a moment of mercy to go, man, I now know the truth about myself. And it was the truth that set him free, where he's like, I can go out knowing who I am. And that was the goodness he leaned on in the midst of that. That was the goodness he clung on to was I know who I am and after watching the movie and if you saw in the news this happened in the in the early 90s he was eventually um, released they didn't even do a, a retrial he was released because the evidence was so clear when they came back to they went to a higher court and they looked at it and said yeah you are innocent and so eventually he had the greatest mercy of all and that was being released from bondage because the truth set him free. The truth is what set him free. He had a momentary, but then he had the greatest mercy of knowing that he is free. And we have no idea with our circumstances every day, with what we face, with what we have to see, if things are going to change. We don't know. We have more maybes in our life than we do yeses or nos. There's more unknowns in our life but we can embrace mercy in a way that says, man, God, you are constantly working to bring the truth and freedom into our life and world. You are constantly working to do that. And so a posture of mercy is a posture of hope. It's a posture of hope and clinging on to the truth that Jesus shares with us. But even more in this Psalm, we see that David has a posture of praise. He is not afraid in the midst of not being delivered yet to praise God. And, and praising God in our life, in the trickiest times of our life, can be hard. When we don't know if we're going to be rescued, if we don't know what's going to change, it can be so challenging. But David knew that leaning into thanks would allow him to see God moving, would allow him to see God's goodness in everything. And so the best time for us to practice thanksgiving is when we are struggling. But the hardest time to do it is when we are struggling. It's the time that we need to do it the most, yet it's the time when we're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can say thanks when I'm lost a job, or thanks when I had someone pass away, or thanks when my kids are struggling and they're struggling with anxiety and depression and there's so much suicide in this world, I don't know if I can give thanks. But that's the time that we have to do it the most because we have to see God's goodness working because he's moving every single day. And recently in the last couple months, I've been diving into stories of people that have gone before us in the faith. I've been diving into, man, why and how did they take Jesus so seriously that they were willing to sacrifice everything? They were willing to sacrifice everything they had because they looked at scripture, they looked at Jesus, and they go, This is what I need. This is what I'm going to cling on to. This is the goodness that I need in this broken world. And so one of the people is Corey Ten Boom. I read her story, The Hiding Place, that she wrote um, of her family story in World War II. She was a Dutch watchmaker uh, in the Netherlands. And her family, they took Jesus so seriously that when they saw what was going on in the world, they didn't want to participate. Instead, they wanted to rebel against, so they started hiding Jewish people in their house. They started hiding. They think her work and her family's work might have saved over 800 people because they chose, man, I want to take Jesus so seriously that I want to protect those that are powerless. And so they were hiding people, and eventually they got caught and their family got sent to prison. And some of their family died in the prison, some were released, but Corey and her sister, Betsy, were sent to a concentration camp in Germany. They were sent to this concentration camp after traveling miles, and they, they walked into their bunk room, and there were crammed bunks, and the, the crammed bunks they were crawling in, they could barely stand up, and as they were laying there, they realized there they they were fleas everywhere, and they were getting bitten, by fleas over and over. And Corey asked her sister, man, how are we gonna live here? How are we gonna survive this? How are we gonna make it through? How are we gonna live in these terrible situation? And Betsy reminded, Corey's sister Betsy reminded her, man, God's given us the answer. And I love this interaction between Corey and Betsy in this because Corey's the one that I feel like I'm most like of like, ah, did he? I don't think he really mentioned fleas. Uh, and her sister is just so full of faith and goes, no, he's given it to us. In First Thessalonians, when God calls us to give thanks in all circumstances, and she reminds her sister, not in pleasant circumstances. It's not just set aside for that. It's for all circumstances. And so in this bed, as they're getting bitten by fleas, they decide to sit in prayer. And they sit in prayer, and they lay there together, and they start thanking God for everything they could see around them. They thank God for being together. We didn't have to be placed in the same bunk, but we are. They thank God that they were able to smuggle in a Bible. And so they had God's words right next to them. And then they thank God with how cramped it was in there because that means there's so many people that they get to praise Jesus with. They said, man, there's so many people that we get to praise Jesus with or share the hope of Jesus with. And then at the very end, Betsy goes, and God, I thank you for these fleas. Of which Corey's like, no, we are not thanking God for the fleas. Because why would we do that? It's causing pain. It's hard. It's not easy. And as they were praying, they had no idea what God was doing. They had no idea that God's goodness was moving in the most horrific of circumstances. He was moving, but they were like, we're going to thank God so we can see that. So we can know that. So we can praise him in all circumstances. And they were able to, this is the, I think, the incredible thing. They had Bible studies and worship services in their bunkhouse. They had people gathering that were clinging on to that one Bible that they had. That they were listening to the words and and leaning into, this is our hope. This is the only thing we have hope for. And one day... They had no idea. They had no idea why they were able to get away with this. They had no idea why nobody was coming in to stop them. And one day a guard was running after someone and came running in and stopped at the door. She stopped at the door and she said, I'm not going in there because there's fleas. The fleas protected them. The fleas so, was the ability for them to, ha- to live in the bunkhouse and be safe. And so in the midst of the fleas, God's goodness was working. They had no idea why they were there. They had no idea what was going to happen. Betsy eventually died from sickness in the concentration camp, camp, and Corey was released. But they praised God every moment, not knowing what tomorrow would bring. And so in the midst of our pains and trials, We thank God because we need to see that God's goodness is working. That God's goodness is there and we're needing to cling on to it. And we may not understand why or what's going to happen, but we can begin to see when we fix our eyes towards Him with thanksgiving. And as Christians, man, we look around and there's so many unknown things, like I said. There's so many maybes, but we believe that we have the most important known piece in our life. We have Jesus. And he's the biggest, most important known thing that we can cling onto. His life, death on the cross, resurrection and presence is working to redeem every part of our lives and world. And one way we'll do it to complete. And that's the goodness that we lean onto. That's the goodness that we long for. And he's our ultimate goodness. That's why we call it good news. That's why we say, man, God is good news. And we go around proclaiming that. And it's not just when circumstances are pleasant. It's always. But that's hard. And it's not easy because we're human. Man, I've wrestled with this. And I think I'm sharing this this morning. I've wrestled with this for almost three years. After my brother's accident, after watching other people pass away, I'm like, where are you, God? And over time, I felt like God, man, was so merciful and I had to embrace that I needed him. I had to embrace that, man, I may not know what's going on. I may not know why. But you are working and you are so good. And I need to cling on to that. And I was able to eventually start giving thanks to God. And still pain and still hurt to be like, thank you, God, for your, your presence Thank you, God, for your peace. I'm not saying that walking away today, you're going, oh, God is good. Everything's good. No, it's with our shaky hands that we lift it in worship and go, I don't know, but I know you, and I trust you, and that's the known peace I'm going to lean on to. And that's why worship writers, they write songs like this over and over to celebrate and rehearse this truth that God is our ultimate and known goodness forever and always, and his goodness is working forever forever and always. And those songs were hard for me to sing at times, but I'm learning to know, yeah, even if it's hard, even if I'm struggling, I'm gonna lift my hands up and praise you in this. And so we have songs like Good, Good Father, where we over and over say, it's who you are, who he is, he can't go without the word good, that's in his name, that's who he is to us. Then we have songs that we sang just before this, the goodness of God, every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God because His goodness is running after us. I love that. Every breath that I'm able, Man, it shows this posture of like, I'm going to try. I'm going to lean in a little bit more, a little bit more each day. And then we have some of the most incredible hymns that we've leaned on for a long. And one of my favorites is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great, not just good, but great is thy faithfulness. Lord, every morning new mercies I see, and all I have needed thy hands have provided. So we have so many songs that proclaim God's goodness. So many songs that we go, man, I'm going to give thanks no matter what. And this morning, I want to teach you a new one that has been stuck in my head for a while. And I think it'll take this message, and it might get stuck in your head a little bit because it's pretty catchy, um, and here's what this song is, I'll Give Thanks by House Fires, and it says, in the morning you sing over me, and I receive your mercy, we embrace his mercy, your faithfulness is clear to see, it's like the sunrise constant every day, every breath I breathe an invitation to believe you are creating something good, I love that language, invitation, invitation, Every breath I breathe an invitation that we get to receive that, to believe just even a little bit that you are creating something good. Though the season doesn't tell my story, I know you'll move mountains for me. You're just that good. And so it goes on to say in the chorus or bridge, I don't know what it is, but I don't know music, but it says, so I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough because he's more than enough and he knows what what I need. That's the goodness that we're clinging on to, is that in the midst of our circumstances, He is working, He knows what we need, and we get to give Him thanks in that. And so we're all sitting there, we're sitting with different things in our lives, maybe life is so good and it's easy to praise, or maybe you're just holding on with tight hands wondering, I don't know. And I wanna invite you this morning to lean into that longing for goodness. To know that God is so good and He's working. He's always good. And to lean into that neediness that we have. And so as we sing this song this morning, I know it's a new song, so maybe you just, if you need to stand or if you need to sit and process or if you, whatever it takes, if you want to sing it, if you want to raise your hands or if you want to let just the words pour over you, I want to encourage you to hear these words To know that this is the good news that God wants to speak over you. That he wants you to be devoted to for all your life. No matter the circumstance. Because I long, I can say that even more now with confidence than I did a couple days ago. But I long to see God's goodness in this world that doesn't always give it.